It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Thursday in Southern California. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with the co-host John Riley. From our studios in San Diego, we welcome you to our Thursday weekly podcast. John, live stream, ton of topics on the table. We're starting with baseball, but boy, there's a laundry list of things we're going to cover in the next hour or so. I, mean, I can't keep up with everything. I mean, with all the NBA, the NHL playoffs, the Padres and Major League Baseball, I mean, our, our cup is overflowing. All right, let's get started. A live stream, item one. Explain to everybody about the Fans Forum and what we're going to do right at the end of the show. Yeah, sure. So um, you want to get involved in the Fans Forum, just drop your, your comment, your question for Hacksaw in the live chat on Facebook or on YouTube. We'll get you into the Fans Forum segment at the completion of Hacksaw's headlines. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including right on YouTube. Click on that bell and you'll get all the updates for when we drop new video clips and new episodes. And a reminder, tell all your friends about what we're doing on our live stream, our podcast, on all the different social platforms. Share and give us a thumbs up. And if you like sports the way we do it, I invite you to check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. It is all written. You can sample it every day. Best 15 Minutes in Sports, Hacksaw's Headlines. My One Man's Opinion column, by the way, is on Fernando Tatis at this hour. And Hacksaw's Mini Polls. John, let's start with baseball. Yeah, I mean, this is like, they were talking about calling it Tatismus, right? We get to open our gift. We haven't seen this guy since 2021. I can't wait for the game. A National Weather Service, probably in the next hour, is going to issue an El Nino warning. (laughs) Uh, the, The storm will roll in. Uh, shortly after 6 o'clock in the Valley of the Sun in Arizona. El Nino will appear. We're talking about Fernando Tatis. Much anticipated return from the year-long suspension, multiple surgeries, the 80-game suspension for PED use. Uh, this, This player will bring energy. This guy will bring, obviously, swag. He will bring home runs. He will bring rifle throws from right field. He's going to be welcome back in the clubhouse. Fans, I think, really want to put their arms around Fernando Tatis. He's ready. Hit 515 in the Pacific Coast League during his 20-game rehab stint with El Paso. We'll go to the top of the Padres' batting order. They desperately need him to maybe change the chemistry of what has not happened at the start of the season. Padres are a sub-500 baseball team, down at the bottom statistically in a ton of different categories offensively. Another bat comes to a lineup that should be pretty good. We're going to start calling the top of the batting order the Fab Four. But there's a whole bunch of storylines here. Uh, the mistakes he made, the lectures he got from ownership, how he's conducted his business during the course of his rehab. Is he a changed individual? Is he a changed person? He obviously said a lot of things when he sat in the dugout last summer at the end of the season after they finally made him available to talk to the media. So he issued a lot of words. He's followed up some of it with actions. Now we got to see what kind of player he is at the major league level, John, because he's not facing AAA pitching that's intimidated by a major league guy. 
So what kind of player will he be coming off the surgeries? There have been no setbacks with the wrist, nothing with the shoulder yet. So we're keeping our fingers crossed there. There's no doubt we remember the 290 batting average, and we remember the 42 home runs, and we remember all the stolen bases. And his career statistics, they are realistic. What he does on base percentage, what he does slugging percentage, will he be the same player post-surgery and the post-trauma for all the bad decisions he made? Peter Seidler, the Padres owner, flew to Sacramento a week ago. Met with him as he began his rehab. I think Peter just reiterated that we want you back. You have responsibilities to that clubhouse, to the team, to the city, to the fans. Uh, Seidler has put his arms around this kid and said, I believe in him that there won't be any other misjudgments, mistakes, or setbacks along the way. So El Nino goes to the top of the batting order. Will that make Juan Soto better? Will they get Machado out of the funk? Will it protect Xander Bogarts, who's one of the top hitters in the National League? Does it impact Nelson Cruz? Who the hell are you going to pitch around? (laughs) John, there's so many storylines here. I'm kind of excited. There are questions that need to be answered uh, as it relates to the player and to a degree as it relates to the person off the field. Your responses? Well, excited. Yeah, I mean, through the roof. And we're all really excited. It seems that the San Diego community has largely forgiven him. And I think we're going to see more of that as he starts playing ball. But remember just a few weeks ago, he started in the, the AAA, re, uh, you know, the um, – uh, re- rehab assignment, and you were like, well, I don't know. He's not really hitting down there. You you expected him to be teeing off, and as soon as you said that, the dude hit like six home runs in three days. 515 batting average. Yeah. So, so he's. I think physically he's back, and maybe he had to prove something to himself that he could actually do this. So he's done it there. I will say this, though. The realism is in Arizona, and then at Wrigley Field, because they go on the road here for a chunk of games. He will be public enemy number one. Oh, big time. We have to understand that. He Mm -hmm. has to understand that. So how is he going to hold up to that? Uh, He's going to have to focus. He has to play ball. He's not going to have to, you know, the heck with what the visiting media writes about him or how many boos he gets at home plate. Uh, But he's needed here, and he owes the people here for the support that he's gotten, for the mistakes that he has made. And there are multiples of layers of mistakes. So I hope this is now a 24-year-old player Hmm. making a lot of money who's learned a lot about his responsibility. Well, this team, for the last three or four days, the offense has been horrible. I mean, shut out two games in a row. They won yesterday, but only one to nothing. I mean, tell me what you think. How how is Tatis going to change the chemistry, the batting order? What can you expect to see? If he's a table setter and gets on base and puts the ball in play as a leadoff guy, that's going to make everybody else in the batting order dangerous. Now, understand, when he first came back in spring training, he was 0 for 14 right out of the gate. Understand this. He's not facing some intimidated AAA pitcher from Sacramento now. He's facing all-out max effort major league guys and all-star pitchers. So that's going to be a challenge just to see how far really back he is. But there's a track record of productivity, etc. I do think there's an intriguing angle to this, and maybe this is culture shock, and maybe this had to happen. He sat there and he was removed from that team all last year. When the suspension kicked in, he was not at Petco Park. He was not allowed to interact, etc. He was out on his own. And they won. They won 93 games without him, which Mm -hmm. I think 
surprised and shocked a whole pile of people. And internally, I wonder what the message was he got in his heart, seeing a team come together and have the kind of season they had to drive this thing to the National League Championship Series. And he was not part of it. I just, that must have been enormously hard. Yeah, very difficult on him. But, you know, he's back. We saw the pictures of him and Manny getting on the bus, going to the airport, going to Arizona. It's just like we're getting the band back together again. This is going to be great. So, yeah, you're right. We have the, the Fab Four at the top of the lineup, and the bottom half of the lineup ain't too shabby either. Well, we'll see. We'll see how he does right out of the gate. But I think he's going to do well. They need him. Fans here in this community want him. This is kind of... This is exciting, yeah. Tatismus, yeah. a.k.a. Christmas gift. Big time. Let's see if it works out. On we go. On we go. So the big news coming out of Oakland here. This is one of my childhood teams. I grew up in the Bay Area, and boy, are they off to a tough start. I tell you, I feel really bad for Mark Kotze. He's a good guy. He's a gamer. He's a grinder. His whole life has been around baseball from Cal State Fullerton to the major leagues. His tenure with the Padres, he's highly regarded. He's in a terrible situation. Oakland Athletics are 3-16. and 16. This is the franchise that used to be the Philadelphia Athletics. Connie Mack, great success, sold off all his players, went to Kansas City, became a Yankee farm club whenever they had somebody good they wound up trading them to Yankee Stadium, moved to Oakland, run by the crazy man Charlie Finley, won four World Series. <laughs> then Finley shredded the roster, got rid of all the free agents, and it's really been a down cycle since that point in time. This is the worst start in athletics baseball in 123 years, and Mark Kotze is about to unravel in the dugout. He went public yesterday and made the comment, we have been placed in an uncompetitive situation. Ouch. Now, I don't know if he's referencing Billy Bean, the general manager, the ownership of John Fisher, the roster they've got, which is very, very young. They're not competitive at all. Then you throw onto that, nobody's coming to their games. John, average baseball attendance is like 31,000 a game this season. Mm -hmm. The A's the other night at home drew 5,194. Ooh. The A's are averaging a shade over 12,000 this season. Last year, dead last, 9,900. They play in a dump that's the Oakland Coliseum. And while all this is going on, as they're getting their brains beat out, nobody's paying attention, nobody's coming, and they can't compete. Ownership signed a deal last night to purchase 49 acres of real estate in Las Vegas. And they, MLB has gone public and said, we approve of what John Fisher is doing. Move the franchise to Vegas. But they're creating now an unbelievably bad lame duck situation for this year, 24, 25, and 26. Because they can't build this new stadium quick enough. Their target date after they purchased the land they announced was 2027. What a horrific situation baseball has allowed to exist with John Fisher as the owner said. Poor Mark Kotze. Yeah, it makes you wonder if it was all calculated, the way they um, you know, had a fire sale, kind of dumping all the, the uh, players, so that way the fans were not going to put up too much of a fuss if they left. But now I wonder, if they're in this lame duck situation, why not be like what the Expos were, where they kind of were a traveling, uh, you know, globetrotting mm -hmm. team? Um, that might be kind of fun. 
But to to your comment about Mark Kotze, I saw a clip of him trying to defend one of his guys that got a call third strike on the the pitch clock, and he got hurt. And Kotze was defending his guy. I mean, he he can't win for losing. Bad situation, and I I just don't think this is quote good for baseball. I mean, we did go through a decade or so prior to the mess in Montreal. But that that was driven by the Canadian dollar, U.S. dollar exchange. That was driven by a smaller market at that point, a bad stadium situation for the Expos. And they wound up relocating finally to Washington, but it became a a bad interim situation. And they wound up playing games in San Juan, Puerto Rico. It was a fiasco. This is a fiasco. And I, uh, to a degree, I blame baseball. They've, they've allowed ownership to strip mine this roster, sell off their players, take revenue sharing, don't pay anybody, lowest payroll in baseball at $43 million. Mm. Uh, I, I blame baseball a great deal. On we go. Let's talk about the commissioner. Let's talk about the players' union because they got an issue now. Yeah, I mean, this is always interesting when we see this come up because the economics of the game are changing very quickly. Rob Manfred out of the clear blue sky makes a bold statement. The major league owners want to put into place a limitation on the length of contracts. Mm -hmm. This kind of smacks in response to what Peter Seidler did with the 14-year deal to Tatis, the 11-year package to Bogarts. Nobody else in baseball's giving those extended terms. Well, Rob Manfred says the owners don't believe this is in the best interest of the game because it, it locks you into contracts with players that you can't forecast what they'll be like in five years much less 10 years, and then it inhibits your ability to run your baseball franchise correctly and dole out all the money because you've committed 11- or 14-year contracts. Now, baseball has got a leg to stand on because the NBA was going through the same thing, and they capped terms. You can't give a star player more than an eight-year deal. Then the National Hockey League did the exact same thing, and they capped theirs at eight years, too. <clears throat> so baseball, there's some precedent there, but that brought an immediately bad response from the other guy, Tony Clark, the union chief, says we negotiated, they signed off on the terms of the collective bargaining agreement. We're not giving back the things that they agreed to, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's the luxury tax thresholds, whether that's an unlimited term of contract be it eight years, 11 years, a Tatis 14-year deal. We're not giving that back. How dare you bring that up? And how dare you try to stop the free market that we have earned and we have negotiated for every guy in Major League Baseball? So we got these two sides banging heads. I don't think there's any middle ground here, but there is obviously precedent with what the NBA and the NHL did. Well, it's like kind of like uh, what Dick Monfort in Colorado was complaining about the Padres signing these big deals because it makes all the other owners look bad. But to your point, it is a free market. These guys should be able to sign for whatever length of deal they can negotiate. You know, this is the prime of their career. And if they can get it, go for it. You know, if you're running a business, if you're running the the Padres and looking at your payroll projection, yeah, it does kind of lock you in. But you know what? Five years, 10 years down the road, 30 million a year isn't going to be like 30 million. It'll be sort of like 20 million, right? The value of that will actually be less and the salary caps are going to probably continue to go up. So they'll still have room to maneuver. Well, they're going to argue about this. They do have a new collective bargaining agreement. And of course, Tony Clark made the stance. You agreed to what you gave us. We're not giving any of it back. 
End of discussion there. Before we move on to the next thing, program note, Monday, bonus coverage, NFL draft preview All right. on our Monday show, our bonus podcast on Monday. And a reminder, Fans Forum comes up right at the end. You got a comment, a statement you want to make. Go ahead, John. Tell them how they post what they think so we can talk about it at Fans Forum at the end of today's podcast. So, you know, we live stream this this podcast twice a week. This is your chance to get involved. If you go on the, the Facebook or the YouTube live stream for Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, just type your comment or question there. It'll appear on our screen. We'll get you involved in the fans forum. And a reminder, check my website. It's all written. If you haven't checked it, you're missing out on a ton of information. And we invite you to tell your friends about what we're doing on our podcast and also on my website. We invite you to share. And while you're viewing, give us a thumbs up too. All right, John, let's talk about the NBA playoffs. I mean, there's all these games going on. I mean, we, we talked about last week about eight different games. So it's like every night there are like two or three games. It's hard to keep up with it, but it's nice to see that the Lakers and the Clippers are competitive. And they're both home. Uh, Lakers split. So that series is tied 1-1 with Memphis. Clippers split. Tied 1-1 with the Suns. And now there's bad news. Kawhi Leonard out. What? Sprained his knee. No. It's the same knee that he had the reconstructive surgery on. Will not play game three in Los Angeles, the Clippers, and the Suns. Uh, There's a whole bunch of issues here with, with the Clippers. I said last Monday when we did our preview that the Clippers' attack had to be Kawhi and all the three-point shooters. Well, in Game 1, they got some pretty good productivity from the group, and Kawhi obviously led them. Game 2, when they got their heads handed to them, they stood around. They were defensed out of what they had been doing by Phoenix, and there were no three-point shooters that really showed up. And at the same time, Kevin Durant went crazy, Devin Booker went crazy, and here came uh, the Suns. Clippers have got to get Russell Westbrook back up and running. He had the horrific first game. He kind of carried the flag in the second game, even though they lost. And now they're really undermanned because there is no Kawhi and there is no Paul George. So it's going to be on Westbrook, the three-point shooters, uh, and and the two big men to try to hang in there. And Phoenix is really feeling its oats. Suns are playing pretty well. Lakers situation, boy, they got tremendous performance Game one from Rui Hachimura and from Austin Reeves. Guys disappeared game two. We'll say this. Memphis, playing without John Morant, Memphis did a lot of things defensively. We didn't see the first game. Memphis packed the paint. Every time Anthony Davis got the pass, they doubled him. I think their philosophy was... We're going to get beat. Somebody else is going to have to beat us. We're going to not let AD go crazy down on the block. And they really took him out of the game. He went 4-14. I just asked the question from the Lakers' standpoint. They knew what Memphis was doing defensively to Anthony Davis. Why was not LeBron running the offense every trip down the floor? Mm. You know, D'Angelo Russell throwing up bricks. He's not shot well. He's not been, he's not been consistent more than anything else. Uh, Reeves... 
got no good looks. He got mugged. He got banged around every time he put the ball on the floor. They were jumping his passing lanes. So the Lakers are going to have to come out firing. I don't believe Morant's going to play in Game 3 because of the significance of the injury. But now it's a 1-1 series. Memphis, historically, has not been a real good team on the road. But, man, they're playing with confidence right now. Xavier Tillman goes off for 22 points. This is a third-string big man, and he just killed the Lakers. The Lakers did not play very much defense at all and couldn't counteract what the Grizzlies were doing. So, bad news, Clippers, question marks, Lakers. Well, they both have to be happy coming back from the road trip, split 1-1. I mean, that's a, that's a win, right? Home court. So, yeah, they both have home court advantage. And remember we talked about the Aztec basketball team um, going through March Madness and how it was always someone new that carried the team. With a lot of the, with the Lakers and the Clippers, if their big players are not performing, they just go to hell. I mean, they, they fall off a cliff. And so I'm really worried now. No Kawhi. I know he scored over 30 even in game two. But if, if he can't go, if there is no Paul George, I mean, Russell Westbrook's going to have to, you know, have a full resurrection and come back to life and be the old Res- Russell Westbrook of OKC if the, if the Clippers have a chance. Well, the three-point shooters that make up that Clipper roster, and we've seen nights where they've drilled everything, those guys have to show up, and those guys are going to have to play. And from the Lakers' standpoint, I'm sure they'll come out fired up, Enraged, and I think that they'll probably blow Memphis out because, like I said, Memphis has not shown that they have the same persona on the road than they do playing back Mm -hmm. uh, in Tennessee. Uh, Next topic on the table, because this is part of the whole discussion of what's happened in the playoffs this week. Oh, I mean, Draymond Green and the Warriors. I mean, this is a whole other melodrama here, but it seems like this guy keeps getting in trouble. Suspended for Game 3 against Sacramento. They're already down 2-0. You know, the big issue is his persona. I understand his fire. I understand him wanting to be the tough guy and the leader and all that. I don't understand his decision-making. For him to stomp on the chest of DeMontis Sabonis on on what was a stupid foul that that player made, and then to taunt the crowd, and then not, not realize Draymond's got all this history, 17 technicals this season, Multiple confrontations with refs. He punched a teammate in practice. I remember that, yeah. And then the other other piece of this equation, how come Steve Kerr can't control that player? I mean, they're down 0-2, and this guy does such a hideous act to get himself suspended, it could wipe him out of the series. You know, and, and where's the leadership of Curry? Where's Clay Thompson to hold the guy responsible for stupidity? I like his fire. I know he's a tough guy, and that's a piece of what he does. But he acts like a punk. To the denigration of the Golden State Warriors, this suspension could knock him out of the playoffs. I mean, they'll be down 3-0. There's no way they're coming back. Yeah, well, remember, it was one of the uh, it was a series, I think, when the uh, Warriors lost to LeBron and the Cavaliers. Draymond got suspended in one of the finals games and then they they lost and and they ended up losing the whole series. Uh, So this is this is tough. I mean, so you you remember back about 10 years ago in the NFL, was it a Dominic Sue, you know, stepped on the chest when he was one of the Detroit Lions. So some guys are just sort of wired the wrong way, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think Draymond Green might be one of them. 
pretty good basketball player, but this might be the end of the Golden State era uh, if they get knocked out because their big tough guy is not not going to be there. On we go. On we go. I mean, injuries all over the th- place here. I mean, what's the latest on John Morant? Uh, John Morant's got damaged fingers. Uh, when he went face first down on the offensive foul, I mean, he was way high and he had a long way to fall and tried to break it. He injured two of the fingers on his shooting hand. I, when I first saw it, I thought he had broken his wrist. Or well, just he felt like or this. Yes. Yeah, it was awful. Uh, but he's still got, he's got pain. He's got swelling. He does not have a feel for dribbling the basketball. He can't grip the basketball. Now, granted, there's, he had yesterday off. He's got today off. Uh, you know, they don't practice. They don't play till Saturday. I'd really be surprised if he's going to be able to to play, just because of the damage to the fingers. Yeah. Um, so that's a big issue. Uh, Giannis in Milwaukee, uh, came, the X-rays, and then they they did an MRI, came back clean. He's got a deep bruise though, but he's been under constant therapy, whether that's heat, ice, stretching, whatever. I think. He's probably going to be able to play on Thursday. Now, whether it'll be 100% Giannis remains to be seen. But these guys are playing with such reckless abandon. And the falls and the hits that they're taking, I mean, it's because they're trying to get to the basket to make plays. Or guys fall and they fall over them. Um, Giannis, this, this is the fourth different injury he's had this season in Milwaukee. And he's very, very frustrated that he just can't stay on the court. So I, I think there's probably better news for the Bucks. And, you know, the odd thing is, without Giannis... They won their second game. I mean, they obliterated Miami. Mm -hmm. And Chris Middleton went off. Bobby Porter, who's an unsung hero, really tough, gritty forward. He had a really, really good game. So, I mean, that's where we are with the injuries. We'll see. We'll see if Giannis gets to go in game three. I think he probably will down in Miami. And, of course, Miami's reeling because Tyler Harrow's just had surgery on a shattered hand, and he's gone for the rest of the season. And they don't look like the same basketball team either. Kyle Lowry has just never, ever gotten healthy. He doesn't get on the court right now. So they're down two key guys in the backcourt there. Well, the Grizzlies won a game without John Morant. So maybe they can keep it going. I mean, this is what makes the playoffs so entertaining, so dramatic. Now, if they can if they can survive in advance, right? I mean, they'll play into June when we'll have the finals. That'll give them time to, to heal if their team can keep winning. So, um, yeah, this I, I can't imagine the Bucks are going to be that good without Giannis. The Grizzlies, I'm not sure. So we'll see how it goes. On we go. Let's change topics. Let's talk NFL football because there are a lot of topics on the table. Yeah, I mean, you show me these headlines before, and these are something. So let's break it down. All right, let's talk about what's gone around the league. Jalen Hurts has just signed a five-year contract extension, $255 million. $179 million of it is guaranteed. So those dollar values plus the $51 million average top what Deshaun Watson got. Mm. The only thing different is that Jalen Hurts' contract is not fully guaranteed for the five years like Deshaun Watson is. However, that being said, he goes to the top in the pay scale in a lot of different categories, and there's fallout. So now, how does Jalen Hurts' contract impact the stalled impasse negotiations in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson? (laughs) Is Jackson going to try to supersede what Jalen Hurts just got? And then, then you add into the conversation... How did that contract impact the two young guns? 
Justin Herbert Chargers, Joe Burrow, Bengals, both headed to the final year. If Hertz is getting 50 and Lamar is going to try to get more than 50, that means Burrow and Herbert are going to ask for 50. And what complicates it is you have a Chargers owner, Dean Spanos, who is one of the poor owners in the league. And you got Mike Brown, the Cincinnati owner, who historically is one of the cheapest owners in the league. If everybody's giving their quarterbacks 50, are these guys going to give them 50? So watch that. Second topic, Justin Herbert. The Chargers, like everybody else in the NFL, this week opened off-season workouts. First two weeks are weight training and classroom work. Not really stuff on the field. It's more conditioning. He is in the classroom work, but he is not cleared to do anything football-related. Justin Herbert's coming off. Surgery, torn labrum. Little bit alarming was that Brandon Staley finally admitted the doctors have not yet cleared Justin Herbert for OTAs. Now, that's post-draft. That'll be the entire month of May. You don't know whether or not they're going to allow him to throw. Granted, surgery was this one, not the throwing shoulder. So keep that in mind. Rams have opened their workouts, and Matthew Stafford is there. He's been cleared by doctors. He had the concussion issue. He had the bruised back spine issue. He's totally healthy. That's the only thing in the Rams camp up in Thousand Oaks that is right. They just traded one of their big money wide receivers, Allen Robinson. He went to the Pittsburgh Steelers. He is the 17th veteran player, John, removed from the roster in the offseason, including 13 starters out of 24, 22 starters plus the two kickers. Mm -hmm. 13 starters are gone off that roster. And wow. they don't have a lot of draft picks to replace them with. So I, I think the Rams are not going to be a superior team. And they got offensive line problems. You got Matthew Stafford coming off two different injuries. So they're going to have to pay attention to that story. And then you got the Miami story. And this kind of came up like the sun come up. Where'd that come from? Tua Tagovailoa confirming he met with his parents during this offseason. Seriously considered retirement because of the two concussions he got last year said he elected to go through weight training in the offseason, and he's going to play. The only concern I have is, A, he takes a lot of hits. B, he's he's shown he's not been able to stay healthy. Not in Miami, and prior to that, not at Alabama. And C, if he's mentioning the word retirement, that's not a good sign to me in terms of him being all in and knowing full well he's going to take a beating or he's going to take hits, etc. So, I don't know what the future holds for that that quarterback. If he can't stay on the field, and the fact he's had two concussions already, you know, about a six-week span, I'd be a little bit worried about that. I'm worried about his psyche, about I'm going to play, but she always thinking about retirement. Go ahead, John. Yeah, there's a lot here to go through. So, you know, talk about the Jalen Hurts deal. This is kind of like what we were talking about with Rob Manford and Tony Clark. You know, these teams are signing these big deals, and they don't have a lot more maneuverability. I wonder if the other owners are getting angry, you know, that the Philadelphia Eagles are signing Jalen Hurts to such a big deal. Is that no, same be- dynamic going on? No, because you've got a salary cap. Mm-hmm. You can't get somebody that's going to go off on a tangent on a wild spending spree. But the price is going up. But the revenue streams are going up. And the salary cap goes up every year. You just have to make sure 
where you commit your money, you don't make a mistake, and you have enough money to keep other players because the other guys are going to come asking for paydays too, and you got free agency to deal with. So it's just juggling dollars and cents. Uh, but everybody in the league is paying their quarterbacks, has to pay the quarterbacks. And like I say, we'll see what the money-pinching Bengals <laughs> and the poor financially-led Chargers do with their kid quarterbacks because those guys are next in line. Yeah, I mean, this is this is something. But like, go back to the Rams for a minute. Now that Matthew Stafford is healthy and every one of his star players is gone, it's almost like he's back in Detroit, right, with an awful team around him. I mean, what what what's the Rams' plan? I mean, for quarterback, are they just going to rebuild and be good in three or four years, and by that time Stafford's done? I think that you know they'll, they'll start thinking about a quarterback for the future, but they, they still got to solve the offensive line problems, and uh, they've stockpiled a whole pile of additional draft picks for guys they let go. Uh, but they traded so many picks away, too. So instead of sitting there with having maybe the potential of 14 draft picks, they don't have that number. Um, I just don't think it's going to be a good season. I think they're going to take a step back. Uh, the hope is you don't get the quarterback busted up along the way. But, you know, they, they did get their Super Bowl, and they spent an awful lot of capital and currency to get to that Super Bowl. But now those bills have come due. It's, it's just a very different business model now. Yeah, isn't it interesting how there's a lot of teams that do that? They'll build for a championship and then they'll tear it all down. You know, we don't ever see those sustainable models in in a lot of these teams, a lot of these sports. On we go. Let's talk college football. This is kind of a surprise story. Yeah, this was something here. I mean, because it's been there's been trouble at Snapdragon. I mean, the fans haven't been showing up. Well, they showed up for the first game against Arizona, and they hated the heat and they hated what they saw, and then they never came back. Because the team was so bad offensively. And then San Diego State cut ticket prices for the final three or four home games. And I think that offended all the people who had paid really exorbitant prices to, quote, be part of the Snapdragon debut experience. They got, they got problems. They got problems with their fans now. Because the fans were offended by the prices. And the fans are really bothered by what Aztec football looked like last season. I am hoping under Brady Hoke that that was a one-off. He's got a new offensive coordinator, Ryan Lindley, who he really likes. Lindley comes from the NFL. Uh, he's obviously got the quarterback back, uh, Jalen Maiden. They are deep at running back. They've lost a bunch of receivers. They're going to have to deal with that, maybe through the transfer portal. They are facing a big rebuild. I mean, they they got to replace three offensive linemen, and they got to replace a whole pile of people on their front eight. Mm. On defense, mm-hmm. entire defensive line, almost all their linebacking. And now they lost one of the top defensive backs, Pat McMorris, who's gone into the transfer portal. So suddenly Brady Hoke, who I thought had built a real good power base in terms of talent level, he's got a lot of holes, a lot of different places. And he's got a community that, quote, doesn't believe in him and his style of coaching any longer. So reducing the prices some, I think it's 5,900 tickets total are, are you know, have different price structures, but the reality is, thirty-five seat shiny for thirty-five thousand seat shiny new stadium. John, they drew in house, in house twenty-one thousand per game. 
Wow. In a 35,000-seat shiny new stadium. Mm -hmm. And that was a byproduct of the bad experience on opening day and just the bad offensive season that the team had. And then there's all the ancillary stuff. You're in the Mountain West. Nobody cares about you playing Colorado State of Wyoming. And are you going to the Pac-12? And I know John David Wicker, he sent out an additional newsletter and said, hey, uh, we've had great success with basketball. We want to use that as a springboard towards football. I'm sorry. You can't <laughs> link one with the other. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't. Uh, so Brady Hook's got a huge challenge on his hands for the quality on the field and how the community views him as a head coach and views his program. So a lot of work to be done. Well, I know when they opened that stadium, the the, the season ticket prices were pretty high. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and they, they so they had really lofty expectations. They have the skyboxes and everything. So I mean, what would it cost for like a family of four to go to a ball game, a Snapdragon? Well, the skyboxes were all sold out, most of them the corporate companies. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the fans, the ticket prices were really extreme. You know, when you, you, you pay $250 to sit at the 50-yard line to see a Mountain West Conference game hmm. and a football program that's not upper echelon, and then you lose, and then you lose the way they lost with bad quarterbacking and player transfers, it was just, just an absolute disaster. But you can get tickets. Sight lines are great. They're going to reduce the parking, which I think is another thing. I don't know what else they can do to make make it a better fans experience unless you start winning games and you win games the way San Diego fans are used to throw the football down the fields. Mm-hmm. They got a lot of a lot of things on that have to be checked off before we can say, hey, they're back <laughs> and they're back in a shiny new stadium and maybe we'll sell out the sucker again. I mean, the opening game was electric when they played Arizona. What happened before the game? What happened at the start of the game? It was like being indoors watching Aztec Basketball Viejas Arena. It, the building rocked. And then it just got progressively worse, and it was 110-degree heat index. <laughs> and the quarterback got hurt, and they got their brains blown out, and then it was a downhill thing. I, I hope Brady can, can ra- rally this thing. Are you going to be there for a, ga- a week zero against Ohio University? I will be wearing green. <laughs> I might not be allowed in the press box, but I will be wearing green. I want the program to succeed because it's our program. Yeah. But by the same token, holding people accountable if they don't do a good job. And right now, this community is holding Brady Hoke accountable. Okay, before we go on to the next topic, program reminder you got to be with us Monday. Bonus podcast, NFL draft preview. I don't care who your favorite team is. We're going to walk through our own mock draft. We'll talk to you about the potential of more trades because those rumors are still flying out there. NFL draft is really, really special to pro football fans everywhere. And this is a draft of good quarterbacks. And this is a draft at the top of the board that's loaded with great defensive players. So Monday, NFL draft preview. John, quickly. Press the button that says Fans Form. Explain to those on the live stream how they can sample what we do. I mean, holy moly. I mean, we got a ton of comments in the the live chat here. We'll get, try to get you all involved in the Fans Forum. But, you know, we still have a few more uh, headlines to go through. We'll be in the Fans Forum segment. Type in your comments on the live stream on Facebook or YouTube. We'll get you involved. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Do you have enough time to watch both the NBA and the NHL playoffs? It's impossible I tried to juggle some, them all. I tried to split screen. <laughs> Get this. So I'm, the other night at home, I got the NBA on the lower half. I got the NHL on the top half. 
and I'm trying to write on my laptop a column <laughs> for my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. I was multitasking. Yeah. I'll tell you, by the time I got to the end of the games, I had a headache that you could not kill with a Tylenol. Yeah. It's just tough to, to watch two games and write at the same time. This has really been a crap week in hockey out here. I'm talking about the Ducks, and we're also talking about the Gulls. Uh, Anaheim Ducks finished the season with 23 wins. Worst metrics in the league defensively, offensively. Felt bad for their superstar goaltender, John Gibson, who got bombarded with shots. And they took out the coach, Dallas Akins. I like Dallas. Great job in the American Hockey League. He's been put in two very untenable situations. Went to the Edmonton Oilers, where they had all these young draft picks, and said, play them. You can't play 20- and 21- and 22-year-old guys and think you can survive in the NHL. He lost his job a year and a half in. Came to San Diego. He was the first coach of the AHL Gulls. Did a great job. Had a good group of young players, too. Goes to Anaheim when they make a coaching change. Brings in unique philosophy, teaching players about being not only a player, but being a man, being responsible, training, intellectual thinking guy. I don't know if he's a good NHL coach because the record says you were 100 and 144 and 44 in Anaheim. I do know from the players I spoke to that he had great success in Toronto with the Marlies in the American League and had great success here. I hope he resurfaces. Uh, If it was bad there, it was even worse here. San Diego goals. And this is all in direct correlation because the Ducks run the goals franchise. No players to speak of. They develop good goaltending. Very good goaltender in Lucas Dostal. Nothing else on the roster. What bothers me the most is the new GM of the Ducks, Pat Verbeek, came in. He took all the goals, young players, and took them to Anaheim. They force-fed them. Bad season there. Nothing back here. How bad was it? By the time they got to the trading deadline, the Ducks started shipping out the goals players that were on the AHL roster and got them off the roster and got other guys in. Try to make the the product more competitive. Didn't work. They won twenty games, twenty forty nine and three, all time worst goals record. So I lay I lay this not so much on the first year coach here, Roy Sommer, who's had a great career in the American League, and he's just stepped down. He's leaving and retiring. I lay it at the front door, Pat Verbeek. That's your franchise in Anaheim. This is your mess you created down here. And what really bothers me, this is a great hockey town. John, the first group of years for the Gulls, they'd sell out Saturday night, hockey night, Friday night, hockey night. Uh, right after Christmas, they'd start drawing eleven and 12,000 every home game. Now they're a good product on the ice. And it's gone. The electricity is gone. Uh, of course, they left here. They played a year during COVID up in Anaheim. There were no fans in games. That hurt them. Bad product a year ago, worst product this year. They're drawing 4,100 and 5,000 where they used to draw 11 and 12,000 mm. after Christmas. So I'm hoping that this is a one-off down here for the Gulls. And the Ducks are in the lottery. They're going to get an access to either the first or second best players. But those guys aren't coming here because they're, they're too young. Yeah, you, you can't play in the American League unless you're 20. And they're drafting 18 and 19 year olds, which mm-hmm. means they stay in college or they stay in junior. So Pat Verbeek's got his hands full. He's got to, he's got to improve the Ducks. He does have lottery picks. He does have a huge amount of money in the salary cap, like 30 million. 
So they should be able to flip that with all the young guys who've already got there. But they're going to have to go find players here to rally this thing because they wrecked the franchise down here. Major market like San Diego should not be drawing forty one hundred for a, a hockey team, and so they get they get they. I'm sorry, Verbeek owes the city of San Diego. He needs to do better to fix the mess that he created here. And I don't, I don't blame the president Matt Savant. I don't blame the general manager Bob Ferguson. You can only use what they send you, and what they sent was terrible. I'm sorry, I've just hit the hot button of a lot of hockey fans, but that's what I think. And what really pisses people off is the Ducks are sitting here with this mess, and across the street, the Kings are playing Edmonton in mm-hmm. the playoffs, and the Kings are one of the hottest, scariest teams in the league. Oh, boy. Well, they've got to rebuild the whole franchise, I mean, yep. the whole organization. So how many levels of minor league are there? Is it similar to baseball? No. There's there's the NHL. Everybody has an American League team. There's a second league called the East Coast Hockey League, which is like a double-A level. But there are very few guys that come out of the E that go to the A that wind up in the NHL. Uh, but everybody has the same number of players on the contract. The question is, what do you do with the guys at, at, at the minor league level? If you can't play, and I wrote a column about this, if you can't score goals in the American League and you've been here a couple of years, what makes you think you can help the Anaheim Ducks? We had, had half the roster couldn't score goals. And I kept turning myself because I follow all these games why are these guys in San Diego? Why are these guys on pro contracts? You got guys that play 52 games that scored two goals, hmm. and they're they're on your, your second, third, or fourth line in San Diego? What? Why is it like this? So I hold Pat Verbeek accountable, and he had a great career as a player, and he learned from a really good general manager in Stevie Iserman in Tampa and Detroit. He's got to do better here, and he owes it to this community to fix this goals franchise. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great hockey fans here. I mean, when, I, when I've when i gone to the Gulls games, I mean, it's amazing how many people show up with their gear. They're all in on the Gulls. And to see this thing sort of deteriorate is so sad. I mean, especially, you know, when they're talking about maybe building a new sports arena. I mean, there's a lot of potential here in San Diego. Big market. Big market. Like I said, they led, they led the American League in, in attendance two years ago before COVID shut them down. And they were second three years ago. And when you start drawing eight to nine thousand or eleven or twelve thousand, you generate a lot of profit for the big club. So fix this thing. Let's talk about the teams that are still playing. Yeah, the Oilers and the Leafs. I mean, I know you were in, uh, you know, the the Garden there with the Maple Leafs uh, back in the day. But it's it's nice to see some of these West Coast teams like the Oilers doing well too. Well, you add it, and we're talking about the big upsets. The first game of the playoffs. The Toronto Maple Leafs got blown out at home by Tampa Bay. Leafs lost home ice advantage. And then they lost again. you got to be kidding me. They're down 0-2 going to Tampa. Holy cow. Edmonton got beat by the LA Kings in the first game, which was a real stunner. Edmonton's got two of the great goal scorers in the league in Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. But Edmonton did bounce back in a wild second game and wound up beating the Kings. So they're coming back here for the next two at the Crypto.com Center, and the Kings are going to have home ice advantage. Uh, On top of that, Seattle Kraken, second year in the league. Second year in the league. They won their first playoff game in Vegas. They beat Las Vegas, which is one of the better teams in the league. That was a surprise. In fact, on opening night of the playoffs, six of the eight games 
the road team won. Really? Wow. In the first game of the playoffs. So we got a lot of hockey to go. Uh, Lord Stanley's Cup is the hardest trophy in pro hockey to get because you're going through four seven-game series. But it was it was a bit of a stunner to see what happened in Edmonton and what happened uh, in, in Toronto. But these are best of sevens. We'll see what happens as, as they play game three in every one of these series. So what's the hot game to watch tonight? That's a good question. I think it's Toronto-Tampa Bay. But this sucker is not going to be easy. And the only thing I can say is is the toughest market to play baseball in is New York. Mm-hmm. I would assume the toughest market to be a hockey player in is in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And they played so bad at home with all their goal scorers to lose to Tampa. I cannot imagine what the last 24 hours has been like in Toronto for those guys. Can't imagine what they have to do coming into this this second game against Tampa Bay. Yeah, I mean, and Toronto is such a huge metropolitan area. We visited there last year, and it was fantastic. But yeah, there are people from all over the world in Toronto. There are a lot of big-time sports fans. They live for hockey and that great history. But boy, just to get smoked in that game one. Let's see if they come back tonight. On we go. Next topic on the table. Okay, well, here we go with Tiger Woods and all the drama around him. I tell you what, uh, Lee, in in all the YouTube's uh, videos we're doing and the comments, there's a lot of time. Tiger fans have a lot to say. A lot of anti-Hacksaw fans right now, too, (laughs) which is okay. I said a week ago that Tiger needed to consider leaving the Pro Golf Tour. I also made the comment that I, I was agonized over watching him limp, the inability to play, the fact that he was 22 shots behind the leader when he pulled out of the Masters at Augusta. And I, I didn't want this to become a pity party. And a lot of people got really upset that I, I said all that. I also made the comment that this is one of the richest athletes of all time who has access to the best medical help possible. And I said, Tiger needs to step away from pro golf, consider retirement. If he needs surgery, go get surgery. I can't imagine the level of pain that he's trying to live through. And this is somebody who's already come through an addiction to painkillers in addition to all the other stuff that he got himself involved in with his wife and his mistresses off the course. I can't imagine the pain level of trying to live through that with the fear I can't get addicted to oxycodone again. Mm. Uh, He had in New York on Wednesday surgery, fusion surgery on bones by his ankle. This is the aftermath of the shattering of his right leg in that horrific 85-mile-an-hour rollover crash out here in California a year ago. Uh, They have fused bones that go from the heel to the foot, controls foot movement. He had severe arthritis, the aftermath of obviously the first group of surgery when they saved the leg. At one point, there was fear they might have to amputate because of blood flow issues. So he's had fusion surgery. They say three months rehab. That means three months, no golf at all. Three months doing the rehab, learning to walk again, hoping it gets strengthened again. Oh, you know, it could, it could be six months before we find out whether or not he wants to play or can play or can practice, etc. So, I mean, his, his life... His life has obviously taken a terrible downturn physically. 
because these are now not just golf-related injuries. This is an auto accident. It was a horrible situation on top of everything else he's done to his own personal life. So I still think he should retire. I, I think this will be a long road back for him. But he's gone through so many rehabs now with so many surgeries, leg and back. Um, tough, tough chore. He gave us an awful lot of thrills. I just hate to see it end this way. Well, I think it's kind of like, you know, we can rebuild him like Steve Austin, the $6 million man, right? So, uh, you know, he, he he is so linked to golf. It's a, such his identity. It'd be awful for him to go out the way he's playing now. So I'd imagine for his ego, for his legacy, he wants to come back healthy, win a few tournaments, and then kind of go out on top. But I don't know if that's even in the cards. I don't think it is just because of the wear and tear factor and you have to practice and you have to walk 18 and his body is, has fallen apart because of the injuries. What's wrong with him retiring and becoming a network analyst? Could you see him in the tower talking oh, golf? For sure. Could you see him on the set? I mean, everybody else has got analysts in the studio. Why not Tiger Woods? Wouldn't that be a win-win for the Golf Channel and CBS? He'd be like uh, Tony Romo of golf. Exactly. <laughs> but will his competitive zest allow him to step away? I don't want to see him limping on the course. When we saw him at the Masters, when he was coming off after the rainstorm second round, he looked like an old man on the side street that could not walk. That's not the Tiger Woods we want to have a snapshot of going into retirement. Retire, become a TV analyst, win-win for everybody. Any chance he plays this year again? No, I don't think so because if he can't, he cannot do anything athletically related for three months. And if he's going to be away from it, that means it's going to be another three months before actually can practice or practices. And can he walk? Can he do 18? So I, I think it's far fetched. And you know he's getting close to age 50 mm. with all these physical maladies. So I'd like to see him on my TV rather than trying to limp on a golf course and see if he could make the cut. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, it was, we got to get a new wave of golfers in here to kind of take over the sport as well. But I, I kind of like the idea of Tiger as an analyst, especially since he has that rapport with all the golfers on the tour. I mean, he'd be able to have some really good interview moments. I concur. And I think there's an analytical thing that we have never, ever really heard from Tiger, I you know I think three of the greatest analysts of our time on television right now, Tony Romo, you mentioned obviously. I, I think he's a deep thinker and he's a fun guy. I think John Smoltz. Oh, I, I just learned so much from John Smoltz on the national broadcast and even in the World Series. And I think I think Tiger could bring the same thing to PGA golf. I don't golf fans agree, disagree, fire away because you took a lot of shots at me last week. <laughs> okay, let's go fans forum. We got a lot of different people here that want to throw stuff in our direction. What would you like to start with, John? I mean, there's so much here. I'm not even sure where to start, but let's just go with the first question just to get rolling. This is from Pedro Rosario. He says, is Tatis going to go off? He always does something special after time off. Well, I think so. And the fact, the fact that he, he was so vibrant at the end of his rehab run in El Paso, I mean, you hit 515 anywhere. Uh, I, I think his uh, slugging percentage was like 1,095. That's pretty impressive. So, now granted, he's not facing some AAA pitcher from Albuquerque, but um, he looks healthy. He swung the bat with great aggressiveness. I, I'm ready to see him at the top of the batting order because they need a leader. They need a, a catalyst. 
They need a guy to just bring this thing together. We'll see if Fernando can do that. I'm hopeful he can. It's going to be great tonight. I mean, we've been waiting for over a year. He's been out a one-plus seasons. I mean, this is a big moment in San Diego sports today. we got a bunch more Tatis comments here and questions. So this one from Jesse Lee Cottrell says, it's Tatismas. And, uh, and, and Jesse goes on to say, hey, nobody in San Diego cares, Lee. We all want Padres talk. There's no doubt about it. I, th- I think that there's, you know, the Padres have grabbed this community. The community is wide open. I mean, with, with the ownership of the Chargers, pulling the greed card out and taking a beloved franchise to Los Angeles, this is a market that now the Padres control is witnessed by all these sellouts. I mean, the, the fact that the Padres are getting 40000 to 43000 for virtually all their home games, I think they've had eight sellouts so far in 13 home games. Just phenomenal. But uh, we'll see. There's a lot of baseball to be played. It is interesting, though, because just up north, they're really starting to whine about the Dodger lineup <laughs> yeah, and the Dodger defense and the holes in the Dodger pitching staff. And how come we don't have a closer? Dodger Blue, welcome to the rest of the world because that's not what they used to be. And obviously the Padres get a push now with El Nino coming back. Next yeah. question. Let's, let's go on. We've got a, uh, a good hockey question here from Steve Zach Botsford. How do you think the Kings have done after a small rebuild? Do you think they have a strong chance to beat Edmonton in round one of the uh, uh, Stanley Cup playoffs? I think they do. Uh, And it hasn't really been a short rebuild because they've been losing for a chunk of years. But what happened is Rob Blake got bold and Rob Blake went out and he made some trades and he signed some free agents. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't look real sexy when you sign a face-off specialist who can occasionally score goals like Philippe Deneau. But Deneau was the focal point when Montreal went to the Stanley Cup Finals a couple of years ago. So he came. And then they traded for a goal scorer. Minnesota had salary cap problems, and somehow they finagled, and they got Kevin Fiala. He came in. He scored 30 goals. Now, he's banged up right now. He's not playing, but he's a pretty good player. And they've drafted really well. I mean, they have an unsung hero defenseman came out of the collegiate ranks, I think, at Minnesota Duluth, Mikey Anderson. He's rock solid with Drew Doughty. You know, and then, and then they drafted Gabe Velarde. High number one pick from the Ontario Hockey League. Young guy, big guy, back problems. Took him two years to get healthy. He's got like 26 goals this season. First full year he's been healthy. And who helped him win the game the other night? Gabe Velarde. Mm. So, I, yeah, the Kings rebuild. It took time. Uh, and it's it, it's really paying dividends. And now they made these bold, controversial trades getting rid of Jonathan Quick in a very controversial deal that shipped him to Las Vegas. But, geez, you watch Junis Corposalas from Finland, the, the guy they got from the Columbus Blue Jackets, and you look at Phoenix Copley. His record, I think, is 20-6 and six this season. He was a journeyman. All of a sudden, light switch went on. He's playing really well at this level. Rob Blake ought to be the general manager of the year in the NHL. And there's a blueprint there. If they could flip it, Verbeek and the Ducks can flip it. And the Ducks have got a bunch of cornerstone young guys here, but they're all too young. But they're they're going to get either the first or second pick on the lottery, which has mean a great young player. What they need to do is get the right free agents to put around this cadre of all young guys the Ducks have. So 
I'm hoping that the misery we saw in Anaheim and what we experienced in San Diego was a one-off. Yeah, I hope so, too. Let's move along here. We got another comment. This is uh, from Podsense69. He says, hey, Lifetime Aztec fan, if uh, Brady fails again this year, he should be replaced immediately. The game has passed him up. Well, he's he's running a Big Ten offense in a conference where everybody throws the football. And they got, I wrote a column at midseason after Fresno State kicked him. I said, Grady, uh, Brady, that's what a transfer quarterback really looks like. I was making reference to Jake Hayner, three-year starter from the University of Washington, went into Fresno State and made the Bulldogs good. I don't call for coaches' resignations, but he's really under the gun because they got to rally this thing. And, and they've had a really good run, but our community has never, ever responded. Hell, the student body doesn't respond. There's 150,000 Aztec alums. You know, my alma mater is Ohio U, 2,000 miles away, and I'm hooked with them all the time. <laughs> Anybody in San Diego that's an Aztec alum hooked with a football program? No. no. And the, st- the fans, the students don't even go to the games. I think it's, it's, it's abominable. It goes against the grain of everything I believed about college football. So Brady, Brady's got to move into the 22nd century. I'm not calling for his head. I just hope there's not going to be another substandard football season because we've had a couple years in a row of of disappointments. Well, think about how long that the Aztec program was terrible, like through the 90s and the early 2000s before Hoke came here originally from Bowling Green. Now the expectation of the hardcore fans is a lot higher. And so when they took a dip down, there's a lot of frustrated people. Go on Twitter. A lot of Aztec fans have really been barking. So, uh, yeah, let's hope Brady can kind of move the ball downfield, you know, uh, as far as making the team team better incrementally improving it but yeah it'd be nice to have a more dynamic offense it's an nfl city oh yeah throw the football yeah i mean it's great that we've had a heisman trophy candidates we had the <coughs> excuse me the marshall falk era obviously we we had rashad penny and and dj pumphrey and all that but san diego wants wide open football i mean you're watching what caleb williams is doing at usc we've seen what mm. uh, the <laughs> Robinson Thompson did a UCLA. We know what the Pac-12 is. Air it out. San Diego State has to move into the 22nd century offensively, and maybe that'll get the community back. Okay, let's let's move on. We got some comments here about the playoffs. This is from the SG Sports Talk Channel. It's going to be an absolute electric atmosphere inside Chase Center tonight for the NBA playoffs, and the Warrior fans are going to be fired up in this game. And this particular person was also asking, who do you like in Game Three, Kings or Warriors? Uh, I think I think Golden State's in a world of hurt because not only do they lose the dimension of Draymond Green's toughness. They lose his fire. They lose his leadership. Um, Curry and Thompson don't play well on the road. Granted, they're playing really well at home. It's amazing. I think Golden State at home during the season, John, was 30-11. and And I think on the road, I think they were 10-31 and on the road. Wow. So Golden State plays really well at home. Uh, but they, they really need to amp it up. But if they go down 3-0, I don't think there's any way they can come back against Sacramento. And the era, despite the fact I really like the Splash Brothers and I have a personal friendship with Steve Kerr, the era at Golden State may be over if they lose tonight. And part of that, if they lose tonight, falls to Draymond Green and all of his antics. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny how there are some players that you say, um, you know, he's the the evil enemy if he's on the other teams. But if he's on your team, you like him, right? 
But Draymond Green sort of crossed that line, you know, because he's costing this team a chance when they need him the most. And he's a great player. He's not just a tough guy and get the boards, but he's a great passer, too. He makes that offense work. He's an integral part of it. So without him, are these other guys going to step up? We're going to find out and see. But, you know, I got to watch this game and I got to watch Tatismas. I'm going to be flipping channels, too. On we go. Next question. Uh, on we go. Let's take a look at some of these uh, YouTube comments. We've got some good ones here as well. And uh, this one, this is actually interesting. It was going back to an older topic about the sports arena in San Diego from Dream Cage. He says, an NBA team that can possibly return to San Diego is very optimistic if the arena is remodeled properly. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say I, it'd be nice. It's, it's fascination. Not going to happen. If the NBA expands, and I think they will, I think they're going back into Seattle, which has a great heritage with the old Supersonics, and I think they're going to Vegas. And I, yeah. I just don't think that San Diego fits because you got the Lakers and you got the Clippers and you got these other big markets that have a history. I mean, Oklahoma City should have never m- happened. The Supersonics shouldn't have never been allowed to vacate. That city. You go back to supersonic basketball decades upon decades, whether it was Gus Williams or Jack Sickman. I mean, it was disgraceful that the league allowed them to go to Oklahoma City. Granted, Oklahoma City became a really vibrant market, and it's a single-town entity. But there's no need for another Southern California team here. So I just don't think that it's in the cards, and I don't think the NHL's in our cards because you got the Kings and your Ducks. Granted, our market is 3.5 million in San Diego County and maybe a little bit up the Inland Empire, but I just don't see the NBA seeing a need that we got to be here. Hell, the NFL should have a need to put a franchise back here, but that's not going to happen because we don't have a stadium at this point. Yeah, and and, and even the, the original projections for that arena off of Rosecrans Sports Arena Boulevard is not big enough for an NBA team. But you look, you know, we lost the Clippers, we lost the Rockets. The conquistadors went out when the ABA went defunct. So it's almost like San Diego is it's it's like a third rail. They don't want to touch it because they think that they're going to lose the team no matter what. Well, it's been replaced by Aztec basketball, which is a destination point for sure. Next okay, question. Moving along here. And this is uh, from Force Ghost Fabio. Talk about Herb Meyer. He says, Rip Herb Meyer, amazing coach, got to see his 91 team in the playoffs. They destroyed my team 54 to 6. Yeah, they're going to have a celebration of life in mid-May for Herb Meyer. And I'll tell you, we have just, as, as the commentary I did this past week, we've just come through the golden era of high school coaches. You know, whether it was Herb Meyer, whether it was John Carroll, whether it was Benny Edens, uh, we've we've just we've been blessed by guys who dedicated themselves to lead young men, not just to wins and losses in football, but to help guide them and lead them into life. But uh, there will be a a ceremony. You could probably find out about it on the internet. It is going to be open to the public, which means there'll be a mob scene there. Uh, so we lost a good one, and we just come through a golden era of really special people coaching high school football. Yeah, I mean a lot of great. You know, history here with great talent in San Diego. It's a launching pad for the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball. On we go. On we go. Here's okay. This is one of ones from Angry Tiger fans. Robert Andrews Sinclair says, someone says this every year, you know, talking about how you want him to retire. His C game is still better than most pros A game. Well, but not right now. I mean, and this is this is not shot making any longer. 
This is just the inability to be on the course and do what has to be done. And that, that includes all your preparation, all your practice time, playing in tournaments. You know, if, if he's only going to play in the Grand Slams because he's won Grand Slams, so he's automatically eligible, that's fine. But if he can't walk 18 at Augusta and he can't make the cut or you see him limping, and it to me it's just it's just a terrible optic. And I just don't want that picture in my scrapbook of this guy. And somewhere along the way, everybody has to face the reality, we have reached the finish line of our career. But his is so different, because he could become an analyst, and he can be great for the PGA Tour as one of the lead guys in studio at CBS. Maybe he doesn't have to be in the box at 18 uh, with Jim Nance. But what's there not to say that he would not have great input as a CBS TV analyst? Agree or disagree? I don't care. I'd like to hear what you've got to say, though. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Jim Nance is starting to step away from the microphone. So, yeah, maybe there's an opportunity here for him. But so many of these players, they kind of hang around too long. You know, there's so few players that kind of go out on top. Or even go out too early, you know, like Jim Brown or, you know, some of these other guys. But, uh, you know, Elway went out on top, but most of the time they stick around one or two years too long. Yeah, I don't want to see him missing a cut every Friday just so we can go out there and people, hey, I remember. Well, remember fondly, I just, the final picture I saw him at Augusta in that rainstorm, it was horrible. And that, that's the thing that flashes in front of my face. So do what I recommend, because I think that could be the second career, <laughs> which would be really cool because the first career was unforgettable. Unforgettable. Hey, we got a, another great question. This is a soccer question. This is from Gustavo Toro. He says, I think Bearhalter did a good job. The U.S. team played very well against teams that were better. If you don't believe that, just check the rosters of the English and Dutch teams. This was all part of the U.S. blueprint. They were going to load this thing with young guys. I mean, they got rid of a lot of veterans when Burhalter finally put the World Cup roster together. And they, they got through group play. And they got into the knockout round with a very young team. I think it was the second youngest World Cup team in the history of World Cup soccer. And they got to the knockout round. Nice. And virtually all those guys are eligible, if they're healthy, to be part of 2026. And then you add into it... The young guys that hardly got a chance to participate, the Gio Reynas, mm -hmm. the Ricardo Pepe's, uh, the Alejandro Zendejas, though he's not a young pup, these guys could all be added to what they've already got. I don't understand why there's been such a long delay here about the Burhalter situation, but the, the reality is the U.S. Soccer Federation says he's still a candidate. Well, they, they do have time. I mean, 2026 is a ways away, but you've got this template of how he built it and what he's left as he stepped away in this interim period, I agree with it. Bring the man back. Yeah, and this is a no-brainer. I mean, why wait? Why drag this out? Why frustrate the guy? I mean, just you know, sign him up, man. <laughs> Get him on contract. I don't want to see him wind up in the English Premier League because there is a rumor there's about three or four jobs in the EPL that are open. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether they're good jobs or they're bad jobs. They've got teams are about to get relegated out. But there has been conversation because he's been in England, but he did a great job laying a foundation. The foundation is there. They're going to add to it. Stay on the same page. Allow him to come back because what was done to him 
by the Reno family, I think was disgraceful. Yeah, I agree with you as well. So I want to squeeze one more in or you want to wrap it up here, I think. Let's wrap it up. Okay. Program reminder. Program reminder Monday. If you like NFL football, our draft preview will be here Monday. Live stream starts at three o'clock. John, remind everybody about the subscriptions. Yeah, so you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to also subscribe on YouTube and follow, like, share, and subscribe to Lee Hacksaw Hamilton on all the social media platforms. And check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. It's written sports coverage you don't get anywhere else. It's there in the evening. It's there the next morning. It's absolutely free. Hey, we thank you for joining us on our Thursday podcast. Be with us for Bonus Monday. John, have yourself a great sports weekend. It's Tatismas, baby. (laughs) Nice to be with you. We'll talk to you on Monday. Enjoy the weekend, too. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.